text to which I'd like to turn our attention this evening is in John chapter 19. We have been for several weeks, and Lord willing, we'll continue to be for several more. I want to ask you a question tonight. What do, what do making your bed, doing your homework, driving the speed limit, and paying your taxes all have in common? Making your bed, doing your homework, driving the speed limit, and paying your taxes. Perhaps you're wondering, what in the world does this have to do with Jesus on the cross? Well, the answer is the fifth commandment. Do you remember what the fifth commandment is? We just read it a few minutes ago. It's to honor your father and your mother. And this commandment is most clearly applicable to parents who have children in the home, but the principle of submitting to God-ordained authority over you is applicable to every single one of us. We do not outgrow the fifth commandment. Additionally, each year, Pastor Reed leads us through the parent-child dedication time in one of our morning services. And we as a congregation vow to do what we can to help raise the children of our church family in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. That means we not only teach them what it means to honor their father and their mother, But we as a congregation have a duty to fulfill the commandment ourselves by joyfully submitting to the authorities that God has placed over us. We do not outgrow the fifth commandment. So let's read John chapter 19, 16 through 27, and we'll see how Jesus fulfills this commandment. And we'll spend our time looking specifically at verses 25 through 27. But I'll begin reading in verse 16. So he, Pilate, delivered him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus, and he went out, bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull, which is in Aramaic called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. Pilate wrote an inscription and put put it on the cross, and it read, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier and also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, to see whose it shall be. Thus, this was to fulfill the scripture, which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. But standing near the cross of Jesus, where his mother, were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene, When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Let's pray. Holy Father in heaven, we ask this night that you would speak through your word, that you would Open our eyes by the power of your Holy Spirit. Illumine the text that we might drink deeply from the fountain of your wisdom. We pray that you would cleanse us of any defilement. That you would make us pure and holy, blameless in your sight. Help us to walk in your statutes. 
and uphold your testimonies. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. In our text, we see Christ having been beaten, hanging, bloodied, and bruised on the cross. And while he is on the cross, he looks out and he sees several ladies, one of which is his mother, Mary. Jesus' father, Joseph, had likely died at some point prior to this, and Mary is dependent upon Jesus to provide for her. Not only is she going through the agony of seeing her son murdered on the cross, but she's also having the anxiety of wondering who would provide for her, care for her, protect her when Jesus is gone. Jesus' solution to the problem for her was to provide another provider. He calls out to his mother, calling her woman, which in Aramaic is not a sign of disrespect, but is a sign of honor, something similar to what we would say madam or ma'am here in the South. He tells her that her new son is Jesus' disciple named John. And he looks to John and he says, your new mother is Mary. Jesus is giving the responsibility for Mary's care to his friend John. And he is honoring his mother by providing for her even after he is gone. He is fulfilling his duty as a faithful son. Jesus is, in a very clear manner, fulfilling the fifth commandment, honoring his father and his mother. And it is that commandment that we will consider tonight. Honor your father and your mother. It seems a very simple command. It it even seems natural, even among pagans. There's something clearly evil, clearly repulsive when we see a child disrespecting, dishonoring, even harming their parent. When we see in the movies an evil character perhaps even killing their own parent, we are shocked, and we should be, because it's the opposite of God's design, the opposite of the very law that's written on our hearts. But the principle of this command extends further than the relationship between parents and children. The principle of honor extends to all relationships between superiors and subordinates, all relationships of those that are in charge and those that are under their care and under their supervision. It extends to employers and employees. It extends to students and teachers. It extends to citizens and rulers. So let's look at this fifth commandment from a few different angles. Tonight we're going to examine specifically the duties of children to parents. Children to parents. And these principles apply to all subordinates. That would be all of us. We are all under someone's authority. Employees, students, citizens, all of us are somehow under someone else's authority. And Lord willing, I'll cover the duty of parents and those that are in authority next week. But tonight we'll focus on the duties of children and subordinates. So first, children, you are called to love your parents. Love your parents. If Christ commands us to love even our enemies, how much more should we love those that have birthed us? that have the responsibility to care for us, those that have nurtured us and provide for us. The command seems simple, but the duty is so much harder than we think. One of the effects of sin's presence in this world is that fathers are naturally at enmity with their sons, and sons are naturally at enmity with their fathers. We don't have to work to be at odds with one another. That's the easy part. But what we have to work at and what is commanded of children towards their parents is love. Love is the starting point for all other duties as well. Without love, you'll never be able to honor and respect your parents. 
You'll never be able to obey them. You'll never be able to submit to them and follow their wishes. Love is the starting point. And the command doesn't merely demand outward obedience. The command, the fifth commandment, requires genuine heart-level love and submission. If you love your parents, you will naturally be delighted in their company. No friend will be as valuable to you as a kind father or a kind mother. Similarly, if you love your parents, you will strive to please them. You will be eager to give up what doesn't please them and eager to endeavor in things that bring them joy, eager to remove impediments to your parents' happiness, and eager to bring about that which makes them smile. Just as true piety is concerned with pleasing our Heavenly Father, so too is true family piety concerned with pleasing our earthly fathers and mothers. Young people ought to especially consider this point well. Do you often factor in your decision-making, your own parents' happiness? When you're deciding where to go, what to do, who to spend time with, do you think through these things? Will this purchase please my parents? Will this activity promote my parents' joy? Will this relationship bring peace and happiness to my parents? Or will it bring tension and heartache? Children, resolve this very day that you will do nothing to unnecessarily bring pain or unhappiness to your parents. Resolve to have a spirit of deference where you want to defer to their wishes, where you want to prefer their happiness ahead of your own. Indeed, consider your parents' interests ahead of yourselves and you'll be imitating Christ, who we're told in Philippians 2, considered the interests of others ahead of himself and thereby proved himself to be the faithful son of the Heavenly Father. Who, is, who he honored above all things. Love your parents because it is your duty, but also because it is your privilege. Second, children are called to honor their parents. Honor their parents. And notice that I did not say obey. We will cover obedience in a minute, but first we need to discuss honor. What does it mean to honor one's parents or to honor those in authority over you? Well, the word can have a range of meanings, but it boils down to a reverence for them. Heart-level submission to their authority. It means respect for them. Valuing their wishes and their opinions. And just like the previous point, this reverence is not merely outward lip service. The child's actions should correspond with reverential feelings within the heart. When children speak with their parents, they should use an appropriate tone and submissive Body language, respectful choice of words. There's no room for rolling eyes, for stubborn and disrespectful tone, for an unyielding, arrogant, back-talking attitude. All of those things dishonor both your earthly parents and your heavenly father. But this is exactly the opposite of what we see in the world and what the culture preaches to us every moment. You can turn on just about any TV show and you will see children disrespecting their parents. The father is typically portrayed as the household idiot. And the mother is the one that's usually the real leader in the home, the intelligent one that keeps the ship running together in spite of the bumbling father. That's the typical plot line. And who are the children? They are the peanut gallery over here cracking jokes usually about the father. That's not God's pattern. It's a demonic inversion of the biblical pattern. And the world delights in it. The world profits in it. Children, we have to be aware of such patterns. 
Do we consider filling our minds with hours and hours of this kind of entertainment? And what will the effect be of us watching those shows for hours and hours over the course of years? The effect will likely be a lower respect for your parents and an increased temptation to speak disrespectfully towards them, a decreased willingness to submit to them and to their wishes. We must all be warned. Scripture reveals the fate of those that disregard God's creation's pattern of children honoring their parents. For example, Ishmael, in Genesis 21, mocked one good act of his father and mother, and he was kicked out of his father's inheritance and proved to be out of the kingdom of heaven as well. In 1 Samuel 2, we're told that Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, refused to listen to their father and to heed his warnings, and the Lord put them to death. Absalom, David's son, was hanged by the Lord in 2 Samuel 18 because of his rebellion against his father. And in 2 Kings chapter 2, we're told a story that doesn't often get read in children's church. God's prophet Elisha is mocked by a group of boys. There's boys making fun of God's prophet for being bald. So Elisha calls down a curse from heaven in the name of the Lord, and two she-bears come out of the woods and maul 42 boys. 2 Kings 2, it's there, I promise. Look it up. God's word is very clear that dishonoring your parents is a serious offense. Not only an offense against your parents, but an offense against God. In Romans chapter 1, there's a long list of sins that the Lord tells us deserve death. Things like murder, strife, deceit, slander, hating God. And you know what else is in that list? Being disobedient to parents. Worthy of death. God takes seriously His fifth commandment, and so children must honor their parents. Third, children must obey their parents. They must obey their parents. This is related to the previous point, but it must be made explicit. Perhaps no duty is more generally acknowledged than this one. And this obedience must begin early, earlier than many of us often think. The younger we are, the more often we need a guide and a strong ruler. The Apostle Paul gives us the one exception to this rule when he says children must obey their parents in the Lord. In the Lord. That means if your parent is asking you to do something that would force you to disobey God, then you must choose to obey God rather than man. Honoring your parents doesn't mean blind obedience, especially if that obedience would cause you to disregard the commands of God. But normally, parents will give us commands that are lawful, and we children, we subordinates, must choose to obey them. And this obedience should be marked with three fruits. First, our obedience should be prompt. As soon as your parents give you a lawful command, it ought to be followed. Delayed obedience is disobedience. If you're asked to clean your room now, and you clean it tomorrow, you have not obeyed. It doesn't matter if the commercial break hasn't come yet. It doesn't matter if it's halftime in the game yet. It doesn't matter if you finish this round on the video game or not. When you're given a command, you should obey promptly. Our obedience should be prompt. Our obedience, second, should be cheerful. Even if we obey our parents immediately, promptly, we haven't yet fulfilled the spirit of the law if we do it with a disgruntled heart. You may drop what you're doing at your parents' request, but you do so with a sign of frustration, 
with an obvious body language of, I don't care, but you're just going to go do it anyway. Signs of frustration, rolling your eyes, stomping your feet. All of those things are just as dishonoring to your parents as if you looked them in the face and said no. God demands cheerful, heart-level obedience. And it honors your parents to give them the same. Or adults consider perhaps this other difficult test of cheerfulness. When you get your pay stub every couple of weeks, are you cheerful submitting to the authorities and paying your taxes? Or are you begrudgingly angry, grumbling in your heart against the God-ordained authorities over you? All of our obedience, all of it, should be done out of a heart of joy and cheerfulness. Because obeying our parents and obeying our authorities, doing that cheerfully honors our Heavenly Father. He has placed those authorities in our life for our good. Our obedience should be prompt and our obedience should be cheerful. Third, our obedience should be complete. Don't raise your hands, but how many of you have had this conversation? The parent walks into the room and says to the child, I thought I told you to clean this up. And the child says, well, I started to, but, 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 fill in the blank. And then the frustration ensues. The problem is that the parent expected complete obedience, expected the child to follow through with the command, but the child got distracted by something else and wound up perhaps even unintentionally disobeying. Incomplete obedience is disobedience. Unless we have been providentially hindered or delayed from completing our task, we ought to obey our parents' wishes through to the end of the task. A couple of caveats here. Notice that I said providentially hindered. If I was asked by my parents to go rake the yard, but I dropped what I was doing halfway through, and I left the task half finished, but I dropped my rake in order to go help an elderly lady out of a burning home next door, that would be a justifiable reason to not complete the task. If I was too busy raking to save someone's life, I have missed the point. But if I only halfway finished raking the front yard because I was distracted playing on my phone or I was too busy riding my bike, that is disobedience. And another caveat, especially for parents, this expectation of complete obedience needs to be appropriate to the age of the child as well. I'll address this more next week when I talk to the parents, but I don't expect my three-year-old to obey as completely and as promptly as I would my 17-year-old. And yet, so often, when we get to adolescence, we tend to drag our feet even more than when we were three years old. Children ought to obey their parents. Employees ought to obey their employers. Citizens ought to obey the magistrates. And we should do this with promptness, with cheerfulness, and with completeness. That's what obedience should look like. So children ought to love their parents, they ought to honor their parents, and they ought to obey their parents. Number four, children should submit to their parents. They should submit to their parents. And this principle is especially important as we apply this commandment to other areas of life, other realms like citizens submitting to lawful authority or employees submitting to employers. And in this category, I'm specifically thinking of matters that are in the realm of preference, of opinion, matters of wisdom, prudence. That is, 
matters of not necessarily moral law. But those matters do become moral law. Let me explain. Every home has some sort of rule, some sort of expectation, some sort of patterns that are acceptable behavior and tell us what are unacceptable behaviors. So let's apply the principle of moral law to this. Is it moral law to make your bed every day? Or, let me put it this way, is it a sin for you to not make your bed? Well, no, not necessarily. It's not necessarily sinful to leave your bed unmade. However, if your mother asks you to make your bed every morning before you come down for breakfast, then it becomes a matter of moral law for you. For you to not make your bed becomes sinful because you are dishonoring your mother's wishes. And dishonoring your mother dishonors your father, who is her head. And dishonoring your parents dishonors your heavenly father. Do you see that connection? How matters that are not necessarily moral law become matters of moral law? How not making your bed becomes a matter of sin and becomes a matter of sinful rebellion. As long as the command from a superior, like our parents doesn't cause us to sin, then we ought to submit to that command. Another example, as long as the command from the civil magistrate, the people in the government, doesn't cause us to sin, then we ought to submit. 1 Peter 2 verse 3 tells us, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. And then Peter specifically tells them, honor the emperor. The emperor, the one that was persecuting them. And putting them to death, he tells them to honor the emperor. In our country, we may not agree with the logic of some legislation, and we may strive to change it. But until it is changed, we should submit in all things lawful to the leaders that God has ordained over us. Just like our children should submit in all things lawful to the parents that God has placed over them. Within households, one of the most beautiful and pleasant sights to see is children honoring their parents and joyfully submitting to their parents' instructions. And conversely, one of the most unpleasant and indeed grotesque sights is to see children disobeying their parents, running amok, angering their parents, arguing with their parents, always rebelling against their parents and therefore rebelling against God. Children, hear me very clearly when I say that submitting to your parents' lawful commands is for the good of your soul. It honors the Lord. Be humble enough to realize that they have lived a little bit longer than you have and have probably accrued a little bit more wisdom than you have. And they have your best interest at heart. They are trying to train you for godliness and not merely for robotic obedience. Young ones, consider these warnings from Proverbs about the fate of children that rebel against their parents. And likewise, adults, apply these principles to anyone that is in authority over you at work, in the government whomever. Proverbs twenty twenty says, if one curses his father or his mother or his boss, his lamp will be put into outer darkness. Proverbs thirty seventeen: the eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother will be picked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by the vultures. In short, the wages of dishonoring your parents is death. And if you continue down that path of rebellion, you will head towards death. If you continue to break the laws of the land, if you continue to do whatever you want, continue to argue and rebel against your parents, you will sprint headlong down the path of pain 
It leads to suffering. It leads to death. Children, be warned that rebelling against and dishonoring your parents is not the cool path. It does not lead to happiness. It's the path that brings only pain and suffering. But, children, hear me today that there is another way. There is a better way. There is a way of happiness and joy and peace. And it doesn't begin with you trying harder to be a better child. It doesn't start with you trying better, trying harder to submit to your parents. That path begins with you seeing that you aren't a perfectly submissive child. And that you have sinned against your parents and against God. And it's looking and seeing that God has provided a way for you to be forgiven. God has provided a way for you to be completely washed of your guilt, the guilt of your rebellion, and a way for you to become a faithful son and a faithful daughter. That way is Jesus Christ. God sent His Son to live a perfect life of righteousness, and His Son did exactly that. Jesus lived a life that completely honored His Father. He lived a life that was completely submissive to the will of His Father, even though it cost Him His very life. The Bible says in Isaiah 53 that it was the will of the Lord to crush Him. That's Jesus. And Jesus, for the joy set before Him, willingly endured the cross. That's faithful submission. And even more than that, He bore the punishment that we sinful children deserved. Jesus took every blow, every whipping, every painful bruise, every shameful joke. He took it all. Every bit of dishonor that we deserved, He bore them on the cross and He buried them in the grave. That's the good news for rebellious children like me and you. That's the gospel. That Christ has provided a way for any that would come to Him to be forgiven and to be made righteous. And even more than that, when we come to faith, we're given a new heart. In the words of this gospel, we are born again. We are given the very Spirit of Christ that writes His law on our hearts. And the commandment to honor our parents, the very law that provoked our sinful hearts to rebel, that law has become something that we love, something we strive to do. By the Holy Spirit's help, we will labor to be a faithful son or daughter. We will labor, labor to be a faithful citizen, a faithful employee that seeks to honor those in authority over us. We'll begin to pray for our civic leaders. We'll begin to speak kindly to our teachers. We'll begin to honor and submit to the wishes of our parents. And we'll begin to faithfully fulfill the commands that our employers give us. Not merely because that's in our, our best interest, but because that's what the Lord commands. And that's what honors the Lord. We must submit to the authorities over us. Children to parents, employees to their employers, and citizens to magistrates. I'd like to spend the rest of the time tonight looking at a couple of practical issues that arise when dealing with relationships of authority and submission. What do we do if somebody in authority over us asks us to do something that we think is sinful? What if my parent or my teacher or my boss is asking me to do something that I think is wrong? Well, first, if you think that that person is unaware that what they're asking is wrong, then we can try and humbly remind them of God's Word. For example, if your employer asks you to do something related to your business finances that you know is illegal, then you humbly let them know that such act is forbidden by law. If the person over us is ignorant of something, then the way to honor them is to remove their ignorance by humbly instructing them. But if they are aware of what they're doing, of what they're commanding, 
then we must choose to obey God rather than man, as Peter tells us in Acts chapter 5, verse 29. We must not commit sin even if a human authority tells us to do so. It is never right to try and keep the fifth commandment by breaking the first four. God would never have us break one of his laws in order to try and keep another one. Seeking to fulfill the fifth commandment and to honor those in authority over us may mean, depending upon the situation, that we have to disobey our immediate authority and go to a higher authority. If your immediate supervisor is asking you to break the law, then you might need to go to management. If your parent is in unrepentant sin or is asking you to sin, then you may need to involve someone in authority over them, like a pastor or perhaps even the police. Likewise, like I said above, honoring your parents does not necessarily mean blind obedience. And sometimes to honor those in authority over us, we must go against their wishes for their own good and for, our, for God's glory. Children, these issues can be very complex. So if you're ever in this kind of situation where you think someone in authority over you is in unrepentant sin or is asking you to sin, then please seek the wisdom of someone that can help you, someone older than you, like a teacher or a pastor, someone that you can trust. The fifth commandment is in no way an excuse for those in authority to abuse those under them. Indeed, it is the very opposite, as we will address next week. The fifth commandment assumes faithful leadership and service by those in positions of authority. Second, a practical observation for children as it relates to the fifth commandment. The relationship between children and parents changes as they age. Or to put it differently, children honor their parents in different ways as they grow older. So as a two-year-old... Um, what is expected of a two-year-old is direct and immediate obedience. When I tell a two-year-old to put on the jacket before he goes outside, I am not open to having a debate about it. He will submit, and he doesn't need to know the reasons why Daddy is asking him to do it. Daddy told him that should be enough. But when that same child is 13, a wise parent will also reinforce their obedience with logic. I still expect the 13-year-old to obey, but by that age, I want the child to see the reasoning behind my decision. Unlike the 2-year-old that must obey because Daddy said so, the 13-year-old is learning to think, learning to reason, and a wise parent will help them to reason wisely. You need to put on your jacket because the forecast is cold for today, and I don't want you to get sick. Parents aren't doing their children any favors if they haven't taught them to think by the time they leave the house. So parents, our goal is not merely blind obedience to everything because daddy says so. That's the end of the conversation, even if my child is 17. Furthermore, when the child is an adult, honoring older parents takes on whole new forms. Honoring older parents may mean helping them physically. It may mean helping them with finances, helping them with complex decisions. Indeed, as parents approach the end of their life, the children honor their parents by taking care of them in many of the same ways that parents took care of the children at the beginning of their lives. Children, have you thought about this? That in God's providence, you might be called to change the diapers of your ailing parents one day. You may be called to feed them, to bathe them, just like they did for you when you were a baby. Indeed, if your parents' mind begins to fail... You may actually be forced to disobey their wishes for their own good. 
For example, if a father with dementia demands that you give him the car keys, a faithful son will tell him, no, you cannot have the car keys. You are not fit to drive. And in that instance, honoring the father requires disobeying his direct wishes. These issues get complex. But I say that, I illustrate the point that faithful obedience to the fifth commandment will look different as the children age. We should not merely equate blind obedience with fulfilling the command. I'm going to close tonight with a biblical warning related to the fifth commandment and a biblical promise related to the fifth commandment. First, for those of you that are not believing in Jesus Christ tonight, you need to know that the Bible says you stand condemned before God because of your violations of this commandment. You have failed to honor your parents, failed to honor your employer, failed to honor everyone that has been placed in authority over you. You are a lawbreaker and worthy of judgment, according to the Bible. Deuteronomy 27.16 speaks very clearly. It says, Cursed be anyone who dishonors their father or their mother. You stand under the curse of God, which means not only that you will have pain and suffering in this life, but you will stand under the eternal wrath of God in hell where all of your sins will merit for you everlasting pain and suffering and everlasting death. But the Bible also makes a promise to us that if we confess our sins to God and we look on faith with faith on His Son, Jesus Christ, as our Savior, then we can be forgiven. That is the promise of God that is extended to any that would come to Him. If you would believe that Jesus is, to, is the Christ... That this man in our text hanging on the cross is the faithful son who fulfilled the fifth commandment in our place. That he perfectly honored both his heavenly father and his earthly parents. Then you too can be forgiven. You can have the curse removed from you. And you can be given the righteousness that Christ displayed on the cross. You can be seen by your heavenly father as a perfectly faithful son. Because Christ's righteous deeds can be counted to you. And because your sinful rebellion will be counted and taken by Him. Come to Christ this day, children and adults, and taste of His forgiveness. Taste of the goodness of the faithful Son, who perfectly honored His Father, so that you too can be made into a faithful child who honors your father and your mother. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we we confess that too often we are grumbling in heart against those authorities that have been placed over us. We do not obey with cheerfulness, with promptness. Lord, we do not obey with completeness. We drag our feet and we do what we want to do. We seek to do what is right in our own eyes rather than following the authorities that you have ordained to be placed over us. We pray that you would forgive us that you would work in our hearts, that you would help us to see Christ as the faithful one that stands ready and willing to forgive any that would come to him. Lord, wash us of our unbelief, of our rebellion, and grant us hearts that are willing to submit, even at great cost to ourselves, just as Christ has done for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're going to close tonight with hymn 420, Come ye.